You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're Canada's number one tech radio show. And we have an awesome program for you today. Later on, uh, we'll be chatting about new connected home standards. Google is uh, pushing forward their connected or smart home standard called Matter. So we'll talk about that. And also other ones uh, called Thread and uh, Sidewalk. A lot of new terms here, and uh, I think it's uh, it's important that we all kind of come up to speed with them. So we'll uh, walk you through what they uh, all mean. Uh, we'll also be talking about Apple and their subscriptions and the pricing for that uh, when you download apps. So a lot of these apps now, uh, you can subscribe a monthly fee. Now uh, they're saying they're going to be making some changes uh, that looks like It'll be in favor of the developers, but not so much for consumers. And finally, we'll be talking about electromagnetic radiation and you. There's been lots of uh, talk. A lot of people say that they have sensitivity to this. Uh, Science hasn't proven it, but it's it's spawned a whole industry uh, around it. So we'll uh, be getting into the the weeds uh, on that. But now let's get into some of the uh, the tech news here on uh, Get Connected. This was interesting, uh, John. Tesla... They uh, are now kind of moving forward with their uh, all-electric semi-truck. We saw this, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. Now it looks like they're starting to take orders. Yeah, but you don't know when you're going to actually get it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not cheap for the down payment. No, no semi-truck is cheap, though. So they're, uh, they're basically saying they want $5,000 up front and then another $15,000 within 10 days. So $20,000 all in just, just to, just to get on the, the waiting list for one essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the, um, the battery range is basically they, they have two, two choices. It's 300 or 500 mile ranges, which is, you know, pretty decent, but I'm also curious, is that under load or is that just the, the, the semi truck itself? Uh, when I was in Seattle a few months ago, uh, I had a chat with a guy that had a, a, a semi-truck that was all electric, and he was getting about 125 miles of range that's fully loaded, and it, caught, it took him about six hours at a fast charger to charge up. So how viable is that, John? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, 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 well, you and I talked about it. It didn't make a lot of sense. Sorry, it wasn't six hours. It was three hours for a full charge, whereas normally like a normal car would be 45 minutes to an hour on a level yeah. three charger. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so this guy, I can only assume he had a, like a fairly, fairly short haul. Like he was bringing, probably delivering stuff to stores and stuff like that. So just a small, you know, within the town kind of range. And it's, you know, with the current gas prices, it's still probably feasible or viable. Yeah, I... I I feel they need to get the range up, you know, especially for trucks. Cause uh, you know, I recently had to purchase a truck uh, because I, you know, bought a big trailer and there just was no electric options available yet. Uh, but yeah. even so just looking at some of the more consumer based pickup trucks, I'm still concerned about the range. Uh, you know, if I get one that has like a 300 mile or 500 mile range, what does that mean when I hook up my 10,000 pound trailer? Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, your range is not going to be that that good no and it also will decline as you use it and a lot of times people buy these vehicles and they use them for a long time 
especially you know in the recreational vehicle aspect of the thing. Yeah. And so that's a pretty significant investment that is depreciating not only in value but also in range. So the uh, this Tesla semi truck still no word on when it's going to be available. Although they'll take your money now. Uh, prices started at about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars US. I'm not a big semi truck guy, so I don't know if that's good or bad. But I'm I'm sure that they're probably up there uh, for those uh, types of trucks. Uh, and they say that they've already got a number of orders from uh, some of the bigger corporations like the WalMarts and the the FedExes of the world. But John, you know, to your point. Uh, the range is a big deal. If uh, they can't get that range up, you know, especially with a, a loaded truck, uh, I think it's going to be a no-go for a lot of um, trucking companies and, and truckers in general. Yeah, it's just too much of a, a capital expense up front for not stellar options. Yeah, and and just the charging time, uh, again, John, like you were saying, you know, if that guy takes three hours to charge his truck, you know what? What does that do to his day? What is he doing during those three hours? Well, he uh, was sitting in the in the cafe where we were having breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was easy to chat with him. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny, right? Like you got to factor that in sometimes. Like when you're when you have an electric car and you're taking it on trips and you got to go to these chargers all the time. Uh, sure, you you think you're saving money, but a lot of times you're going to the cafe that's near there, right? And and you're spending a bit of you know a chunk of change. Yeah, well, and a lot of times these places are right at stores, so you've got nothing else to do but shop for at least an hour. Let's move on to another story here on Get Connected. We're talking about some of the tech news out there this week. Uh, that Twitter deal is still floating out in space, John. I thought I thought it was a done deal, but apparently it's not. Elon Musk is saying that the deal is on hold and that a lower sale price is out of the question. Well, he was questioning whether or not the... Um the number of bots, Twitter is saying about 5% or less of the users that are actively on the platform are bots. And so if he's paying by per user or something like that, when they're in the overall sort of factoring of, of the valuation of the usefulness of Twitter, he's trying to make sure that he's not paying, he's not overpaying for things. But I'm also kind of curious, maybe that's why they opened up the semi-truck pre-orders so he can help finance this deal (laughs) (laughs) no no kidding but it is interesting john like you know they're saying that five percent or less on twitter of twitter users are bots i still think that's a lot don't you i think that's probably a very conservative estimate i think based on that some of the traffic that i see it's probably much higher it just depends on what's going on in the world you can see how some of these bots get sort of activated to sort of stir the pot, whether it's a controversial topic, you know, like an election cycle or something else. Um, And these are very simple for anyone to activate. This doesn't require an elaborate computer network or anything like that. This is literally just a couple of scripts that people are running. And uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. You know, he's doing this now to drive the price down after, like you said, it was felt like it was pretty much said and done. Well, it's not. And it's interesting. He's already been uh, reprimanded by the Twitter folks uh, for what they say is breaking um, you know, an NDA, a non-disclosure uh, agreement about how they actually perform those estimations. And from what I read, John, it didn't seem like it was a very big sampling size. You know, Essentially, they're sampling 100 Twitter users at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, if you've taken any science courses, is not a lot. 
No, no. And you're basing a $45 billion deal on 100 Twitter users? Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, I think it was Engadget had a, a really great headline about this. This Twitter board to Elon Musk, we will not alter the deal in a very Star Warsian overtone. <laughs> well, it's funny because Twitter's, you know, tweeting back at, at, at Musk and, you know, saying, because um, Elon Musk wants to do like his own evaluation of it. And so Twitter's <laughs> tweeting back saying, no, you can't because that's private information. And, you know, they've got a point. And Musk responded to that explanation with a series of his own tweets, one of them that just included, like, a single poop emoji. <laughs> well, when's the last time you saw, like, basically a takeover acquisition happen in the public forum like Twitter? I know, it's crazy, isn't it? What a world <laughs> we live in. Um, and But here, John, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, if, if Musk chooses to walk away he'll be subjected to a $1 billion kill fee. Yeah, that's couch change, though, for him. Yeah, it's true. He blows up $500 million rockets on, a, on the regular, so. Well, we'll uh, keep uh, tuned into that story. Okay, coming up on our program today, uh, we'll be talking about some new home networking standards that are coming out. So if you're getting some smart home devices, uh, you know, the, uh, the Amazon or Google Digital Assistants, Roombas, all those types of things, smart lights. There are new standards that are supposed to be making it easier for us to get these all connected and working properly. And I say yay, because sometimes it's uh, a bit of a hassle. Google's got uh, a new one uh, that they're pushing called Matter. We'll give you the lowdown on that. We'll also be talking about how Apple is going to let developers raise subscription pricing for apps without telling users, (laughs) which I'm I'm like questioning. Uh, And coming up next, electromagnetic radiation and you will be talking about the industry that has popped up from uh, people who claim that they have electromagnetic radiation sensitivity. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're going to chat now about electromagnetic hypersensitivity or EHS. This is uh, something that uh, a number of people uh, here in North America and around the world uh, claim that they have uh, basically sensitivity to all the different uh, electronic signals and and waves out there. Everything from Wi-Fi to 5G, uh, you know, signals coming off our, our TVs. There have been no really solid scientific links between exposure to electromagnetic fields and, and illness. Uh, it's hotly debated. Uh, but, you know, we don't want to get in into that on this segment. We don't want to wait in there. Uh, but, John, there's been a lot of companies that have popped up that I think in many cases are, are taking advantage of this. Yeah, there's no question. There's some snake oil happening here where people are creating these innocuous-looking things and making lots of claims about them. And then people that are desperate for some kind of relief, regardless of what they're actually um, dealing with. Um, if they believe that they have this sensitivity, then, you know, let, let them pursue that. But if companies are preying on them and these people are spending potentially hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on solutions to this problem, um, you know, the, the only solution that I've seen that seems to work for some of these people is to move out into the country where there is no electromagnetic interference or noise or 
cell service, that type of thing. But that's not really practical for a lot of people. It's interesting, John, because there have been a lot of products, as we were saying, and, and there are some kind of weird ones out there. Um, what are really popular are these uh, these sticker shields that you put on devices like your smartphone that claim to be able to uh, to shield you or, or block the the waves coming from your your cell phone. Uh, and it, I kind of I kind of laugh about it, John, because there's been no studies again that clearly link you know electromagnetic waves or radiation to any known diseases. Uh, yet the these stickers and, and some of the other things we're going to talk about, there's been no science to show that they would even help. No, it's 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 kind of. It's troubling, actually, that people are being taken advantage of because there's no question these people are suffering from something. Yes. And, uh, you know, having like nonstop headaches or uh, feeling nauseous anytime you're around a cell phone or, or a TV or something like that, that seems plausible to me that it's, that it's possible that somebody would have uh, a sensitivity to that. But then trying to think like, from a like like from a nerdy technology standpoint, I'm like, yeah, a sticker's not going to solve that. You know, putting a little sticker, it's not going to solve that. It's not going to block that issue. But also, do you remember a few years ago they were selling all these things you could you could stick on your phone, literally just a little wire sticker that was supposed to boost your range. Yeah, what a load of crap. Yeah, yeah, and a bunch of people made a bunch of money off of gullible people. So, John, I mean, these cell phone stickers are not cheap. They're like 70 bucks plus. Um, right. And some other, so let's look at some of these other things. Uh, pendants, uh, again, these things claim to block uh, electromagnetic frequencies. Um, silver-infused hats, they're cheaper. They're only $45, John. Well, it's cheaper than some of the brewery toques we saw in Tofino <laughs> last weekend. When did toques become $50? I, d- I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, uh, my favorite one, my favorite one um, would be radiation blocking underwear. I'm going to just tell people that's what I have. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a company called Lambs at, at getlambs.com. And uh, please, like, don't, don't buy this stuff here. Um, they claim that the the underwear is radiation blocking. Uh, also, UPF fifty plus, so it'll protect your privates from the sun. I guess if you're walking around in your underwear, <laughs> <laughs> is is that how that works? It, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, all this stuff is like pseudosciency, and I don't want to make light of the fact that some people truly believe this stuff helps them and yeah. I'm all for that if if it helps you you be you right and but just try to think maybe a little more uh, carefully about some of these things and and try to investigate whether or not there's any scientific proof behind this other than anecdotal evidence yeah there's another company um, a German company they they sell uh, Q shields and these are like little pucks that you would put in your in your home, and they claim to protect against all these frequencies and five G and stuff, and and they're frost proof. Well, <laughs> if we can't make little pucks that keep the mosquitoes away, how are we going to keep 
<laughs> EMF fields away. Oh my God, John! I just looked up the price on these things. Uh, so one of the, they've got a Q Max. This is like a a bigger puck thing. It's five G optimized. Um, what does that it, even mean? I don't know. It. Oh my God, John! It's like around seven thousand dollars. Oh my! Oh my God! But you can get it in in, in few different colors. Like it, it's made out of wood. Oh well, that's better. A Swiss stone pine or a beech. Oh so if you God. like pseudoscience art, I don't know, John. It's just ridiculous. Some of this stuff. Of yeah. course, they don't really have any science backing it. Do you know what I mean? Or they, if they do, it's like photocopied from a textbook from the fifties. Yeah, and and from these labs, no one's ever heard of. Yeah, essentially. Anyway. I, the bottom line, uh, like you said, John, obviously we have to be sensitive to people that uh, you know believe this is something that is is harming them. Uh, clearly, something is. Um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily electromagnetic frequencies, uh, but buyer beware. Like you know, most of the stuff out there that says it can protect you against you know Wi-Fi signals and five G signals, it's it's a load of bunk, in my humble opinion. Okay, we're gonna have to take. Uh, take a break when we come back we're going to be talking about smart home standards if you're getting into smart uh, vacuums and and lights uh, there's some standards that you need to be aware of that will hopefully make it a little easier to get all connected you're listening to get connected back after this you are back with get connected canada's number one tech radio program i'm mike agarbo here along with john beeler Still coming up in the program, we'll be talking about uh, Apple subscriptions. And now developers can increase subscription prices for your favorite apps and not have to tell you. But right now, let's talk home networking uh, standards, especially in the smart home uh, realm. Uh, John, I have a truckload of smart home devices in my house, as you can imagine. Uh, some work well, some don't. Uh it's it's getting better. Like when I first started getting into it, it was kind of a hassle. But uh, you know the standards are are making it easier for things to to work together. You know, especially with the digital assistants. Like Apple uh, has Siri and and their HomeKit standard. Uh, Amazon uh, obviously with their uh, standards. Uh, you know, with their voice assistant and and Google as well has made some big headway uh, with the Google Assistant and Google Home. They have uh, a new one they're pushing, John, called Matter. Yeah, this is sort of an attempt to come up with a standard. Because one of the problems with all this stuff is every company that makes a product for this space, they all have their own take on things. And it makes it really kind of frustrating for the consumer, A, to mix and match. And you and I have talked about this many times about not mixing and matching because of the fact that you're going to just have more apps to keep track of, more things to update, and potentially incompatible uh, devices across your network. Um, so Matter was something that's been talked about for, for a while, and apparently it was after one of the alliance, the Zigbee Alliance meetings uh, in uh, Silicon Valley a little while ago, where all of the big players that you just mentioned were met up at a restaurant. It sounds like they kind of did this off company time just to sort of like out of frustration because like we need to sort this out for the consumers or we're never going to get anywhere. And they came up with Matter. And this is something that Google has been pushing. And as far as I understand, all the bit players, Microsoft, Apple, everybody's sort of going to be playing ball in this space. And it'll be much easier for people to A, identify a compatible system and B, 
to onboard that into your own home, it'd be much easier. You're going to have to, you know, all you're going to have to do is like scan a QR code probably, and that'll be it. Yeah, Apple's already kind of doing that with HomeKit, aren't they? Like, I, I find setting up Apple stuff really, really easy. But the problem is it doesn't always play as nicely with all the other home networking or home smart home stuff in your house. Well, no, and that's the problem is that no one system has all the goodies that you might want in your house, right? So yeah. you're going to, you, in, inevitably, you have to mix and match a little bit of these these products because you have very specific needs about what you want to have in your house and also the type of uh, apps that they interact with. But, you know, it, it, it's it's gotten better, John, because most devices that you, you purchase now, like smart home stuff, they will work with Google and Amazon. And in some cases with Apple HomeKit as well. Yeah, I think long gone are the days where you have to have a very specific and proprietary hub to get these things connected to your system. Because that was also a limiting factor for a lot of people because of the cost. Because, okay, you know, these, say, smart light bulbs, for example, they're not inexpensive, but they're not that much more than a regular light bulb and you get a bunch of extra features. But then you still have to buy a hub because they, they don't have enough power or connectivity to actually just work by themselves. But now we're seeing more and more of these devices that have their own Wi-Fi. They don't need a hub. It's much easier to, to get them into the system. And once you get the app set up with this particular thing, then you hand over control to your smart assistant. And then you probably never have to go back into that app again. Which is nice. Like I've, John, it, it is so awesome when everything works together like i've got some uh you know dyson fans in my home like i have one in the bedroom and it's so awesome like just being able to use my voice at night just to say you know hey dice turn the dyson in the the master bedroom on and it just turns on it's like magical i don't have to get up to turn it on or find the remote which i've always you know lost uh, essentially same with like the the robot vacuum you know i've got um, you know the the roomba vacuum uh, as well and it's so cool that i can actually tell it to vacuum the house. And the one I have, I, I can even tell it what, what room to vacuum in. So when it well, works, it's awesome. Right. And the, the nice thing about having a standard across all these devices, whether that standard is your smart assistant, you know, and however you onboard them into that system might vary. But I think the goal here is that everything will be the same, is that once you have these things all in a, in a standardized place, then you can start doing some of the really magical stuff. Because it's, it's cool to say, turn off the lights. But what if when you turn off the lights, it also locks the front door, turns on the alarm, and does all these other things all at the same time because you're bundling all these routines together and it's triggering you know, five different vendors' products at the same time. So, But John, isn't that the challenge? Like They all say they can do this, and, but even I, like I haven't figured that all out in my house to do because it's not always the simplest thing in the menus to no. do it. No, no. Like you have and, to go into like the Alexa app or, and God help you if you go into the Google Home app. Like that's, that's a rabbit's hole there. Well, and the other problem too is we've experienced a lot of issues with Google Home products. Once it's associated with an account, it's nearly impossible to de-associate it with that account. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, because I had those little um, Google, Google Home pucks, right? Yeah. And God help me trying to because I wanted to give one to my son who moved out. God help me trying to deregister it in my house. Yeah. Because if you don't, it won't work in the new house. <laughs> no, which is a good and a bad thing, as yeah. you discovered. <laughs> well, you know, I think Amazon does it better. Like, I've I've had to move these things around 
yeah. and it, it, no problem. Like you can actually go on the app, and it's kind of fairly easy. I mean, it's still not like super intuitive, but, but it's fairly the, easy. The problem that I found though with us being in Canada is that a lot of these apps, like Amazon, for example, Amazon.ca, you go there, you have an account, you have your Prime, all that kind of stuff. It's really buried how you get your devices and your configuration. You go to Amazon.com in the U.S. and it's like right there. Like it's it's just front and center, and it's much easier. I found on their system, having had accounts on, on, on in both countries, it's just kind of like we're almost like second class citizens here because everything is sort of centered around the U.S. because that's typically where the software is developed. Yeah, the challenge, uh, John. Um, you know, from what I've been told. In Canada, when they bring in these products and, and services, um, it, it takes a time to uh, version them into French as well. And so yeah. they can't launch an English version typically without the French version. So, uh, you know, that's the delay we're seeing in, in a lot of it. And, and just quickly, uh, you know, Sidewalk is another kind of standard that Amazon has come out with uh, that is being built into some of their, um, their home assistants, like their Echo devices, that will allow you in your neighborhood to be able to kind of share a portion of your internet bandwidth with all these devices to make them work better. So, for example, if you had one of their Ring uh, video doorbells or one of their cameras out front and just not getting the greatest reception from your router, if your neighbors are in the sidewalk uh, world, it can actually get some of its bandwidth from their internet connections. Kind of like an anonymous mesh network. Yeah, Wait, that's coo- that's cool, but also like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like my neighbor. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, maybe this is a step in in mending those fences, John. But you you know the thing is, I you do like my neighbor. Just yeah, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, um, you wouldn't even know, right? Like, you wouldn't yeah. know that it's sharing. It just kind of all happens automatically. So, you know. With the ubiquity of Amazon devices like the Ring cameras and stuff, uh, I could see this working in a lot of uh, suburbs and even urban areas. Yeah. Because everything's so close together. Okay, we're going to have to take a a break. When we come back, Apple is letting developers increase their subscription prices without having to notify users first. What does it all mean? Well, we'll dig down deep. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. We're going to talk subscriptions now. We're all in the app world, whether you're uh, on the Apple side or Android side. But something interesting happening uh, with the Apple App Store. Developers now won't have to notify their users and get them to opt in to any increases in subscription pricing. And so just to uh, clarify that uh, a little more... uh, it's a specific condition, and they don't have to uh, get the the user to opt in as long as it doesn't the price increase doesn't happen more than once per year and does not exceed five dollars US and fifty percent of the subscription price, or fifty dollars US and fifty percent uh, for an annual subscription price. So you know what that means. Everyone Every developer is, is going to raise their prices this year. It's like auto inflation, basically. Yeah. How do you feel about it, John? Well, I don't think they should be able to do that. I mean, the one of the things that I've kind of hated the last few years is this move. Instead of just paying like, let's say, five bucks for an app. Yeah. You now pay a dollar a month or 10 bucks a year to keep that developer to keep 
updating it. Yeah. And you like it's like you're renting the app and you're but I mean I get why because you, you know, the developer has to keep updating it all the time so that it, it uh, conforms to Apple standards and uh, or Android um, but um, you know there's a, it's a lot of work to keep these up, apps up to date so that they work across multiple uh, operating system versions multiple devices that kind of stuff um, but it doesn't make sense why Apple would agree to let them do this without notification and I get that there's some some uh, built-in sort of uh, limiters on this but that just means that everyone's just going to automatically bump it up to whatever their maximum that they're allowed to do. Because why wouldn't they? Especially if they don't have to notify the users. So in their defense, they're basically saying that from a user experience, uh, there were a lot of users kind of getting bumped out of their subscriptions because they were given the notification uh, where they had to opt in. And because they didn't, they were kind of bumped out of it. And then they had to resubscribe which wasn't a great user experience. So what? What if I decided not to do that because I forgot that I was subscribed to that thing? Like, yeah. That puts the that should put the control back to the user so that they have the choice whether they want to continue to to pay for that app so I can transform my face like I'm a sad clown, you know, those face swapping apps that you yeah. have to pay a subscription fee to use. Um that's the this the, that's the thing is yeah, it's a bad user experience, sure, but it's also worse if I'm getting robbed at the bank uh, because I'm paying for an app that I didn't realize had gone up in price that I barely wanted to pay for in the first place. And this is actually a, a, a tip, a pro tip for you know the listeners out there. If you've got an Apple iPhone or even an Android phone, go into the relevant app store and check your subscriptions and do this on a regular basis because you would be surprised how easy it is sometimes and you don't even really know that you've subscribed to a new app and you are getting charged either monthly or on a yearly basis. This kind of happened to me with one of the, um, uh, the, the video player apps that I, I love to use all the time Infuse, it's called. Yeah. And suddenly, which was basically an app I just paid one time for now every year they take out a big chunk of change because I'm subscribing to it. Like right. for an, an annual fee. And I don't like that. But anyway, there was no. like some other of these, like these face swapping apps and stuff. Somehow, uh, someone in my family had subscribed to them because I've got like a family plan and I, I don't have the, uh, you know, the approval check mark <laughs> checked off uh, for anyone, you know, buying apps, which I think I might for certain individuals. <laughs> uh, not to name names. Not to name names. But these subscription prices add up. Yeah. Especially ones well, you don't want. Yeah, and, and especially because, it, let's be honest, that subscription information is kind of buried. Like, you have to go into your Apple ID, go into your payments and subscriptions, and like it's like three or four layers deep. Yeah. It's not front and center. Is an email or a pop-up notification the best way to tell me that I'm getting a price increase? Yeah. And if I miss it, and it automatically happens, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of email. I don't read them all. And again, in fairness, like the good, the good app developers, they will try to notify you. Like, right. Yeah. Apple's not saying you, you shouldn't notify them. Yeah. There, there's, there's, and I think you, like, you're right. I think there, there's a number of the 
a lot of the developers probably will say, hey, we're going to raise prices. Um, just letting you know, no actions required on your part. That would be fine. But to, to just to not tell me and then jack up my subscription fee, five bucks or up to 50, depending if it's an annual subscription, that's a significant amount. John, it all adds up. Like we've talked about this so many times, subscription fatigue, like everything is a subscription now. And yes, there are a bunch of them that I do want. I want Netflix. I want Spotify and my Apple subscription. But when you start tying in some of these other kind of crazy apps that you might not have known that you've uh, subscribed to, that can add up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, a year if you're not on top of it. So again, listeners, go into your Apple App Store or your Google uh, App Store and just make sure that you are subscribing to the apps or services that you want to be subscribing to. Again, you will be surprised that there will be a few odd ones in there that you uh, have forgotten about. We're going to have to take another break. Uh, when we come back, John, I, I want to talk about uh, a fun app uh, that uh, you were showing me over the weekend that can turn your face into like a Norman Rockwell painting. Yes. In a, in a, in a good way. You're listening to Get Connected? Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. John, uh, we had a chance to spend the weekend together out in Tofino. And uh, one of the fun things we uh, were doing when we were having a few beers at the uh, Tofino Brewing Company there, you had uh, this app that could basically take your picture or just even one of the pictures you've already taken and turn it into like a, a Norman Rockwell-ish kind of photo or painting. Yeah, it's called newprofilepic.com. Um, that's the website to go to get more information about it, but it's that's actually what the app is called. And it allows you to do some transformations. Uh, there's a little bit you can do for free, and then you can get it also there's a free trial for th- uh, for three days, or it's, I think, $7.99 a month. Maybe maybe not that much. I can't remember exactly how much it is. Speaking it's, it's of subscriptions. Those, <laughs> well, yeah, it's one of those subscriptions you need to be aware of because I sign up for the free trial, and then it's very explicit about when you need to sort of do something about it. And so I used it for a day with the, with the full pro version, and then I turned it off. But when you cancel a subscription, on at least on the Apple side, it actually allows you to continue to use it until the end of that trial period. So I, even though I canceled it after the first day, I still had two more days to use the pro features, which is what we were sort of playing around with. And the idea behind this is that there's a bunch of little... Uh, sort of filters or effects that you can apply that, like you said, they look like a very interesting painted version of your photo. Some of it's very stylistic. Some of it's really weird. Some of it's very cartoony. Uh, some of it's kind of strange how it interprets. It uses AI to sort of uh, draw uh, your photo in the style of a certain uh, filter. And apparently it changes every couple of days. They, ch- they change the, some of the options. So you, you know, you do get different looks over time. So you're, that's actually what you're paying for with the subscription is for them to continue to develop the app and give you some options, but it made for some, I don't know. I don't know if it was the beer or just the, the photos that we were choosing to manipulate. That was a lot of fun. And then you take those photos and you run them through that Snapchat filter where everyone's sad. It looks like they're crying. <laughs> and yeah, we were, all, we were in tears laughing. Uh, the name of the app again, John? Newprofilepick.com. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network here in Canada and also Saturday nights in Toronto. On The App Show this week, uh, we're going to tell you about uh, websites that are taking your info even before you hit the submit button on forms. And Netflix is telling 
employees to love it or leave it. If they don't like the content, they can leave the company. I want to thank John and Robin and all the rest of the folks that helped put the show together. We'll see you again next time.